Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we're committing to learning from the past, giving honor to the experiences that shaped all of us, and leaning into the legacy we want to leave. We have a tendency to gloss over, rewrite, or try and forget the past or what no longer serves us, a past that might be tainted with mistakes and failures. It's easier to remember the good stuff than to relive the struggle. But where's the learning? What happens if we forget without forgiving? We're all on a journey with good intentions, goals, and dreams, but we're also evolving. We are, and those that came before us did too. How many times can you look back over your short lifespan and say, oh, if I knew what I know now? Think about hundreds of years. If they only knew then what we know now. But that isn't how life works. That's not how progress is made and how evolution unfolds. So they, or maybe you, miss the mark. Are you supposed to forget it happened or the impact it made, good or bad? Erase it and start from here? We all fall, make choices we regret, and steer our lives in and out of progress more than once along our journey. A legacy is the long-lasting impact of particular events and actions that took place in the past of a person's life. Cumulative, not the punchline or moral of the story. So today, looking over your body of work, what legacy are you leaving? What past events, good or bad, have shaped the person you are now? What struggle in your life can you honor and be grateful for? On the University of Wisconsin-Madison's website, I found why you should study history. To study history is to study change. Historians are experts in examining and interpreting human identities and transformations of societies and civilizations over time. They use a range of methods and analytical tools to answer questions about the past and to reconstruct the diversity of past human experience, how profoundly people have differed in their ideas, institutions, and cultural practices, how widely their experiences have varied by time and place, and the ways they've struggled while inhabiting a shared world. Historians use a wide range of sources to weave individual lives and collective actions into narratives that bring critical perspectives on both our past and our present. Studying history helps us understand and grapple with complex questions and dilemmas by examining how the past has shaped and continues to shape global, national, and local relationships between societies and people. The past teaches us about the present. Because history gives us the tools to analyze and explain problems in the past, it positions us to see patterns that might otherwise be invisible in the present, providing a crucial perspective for understanding. And of course, problem solving, 
For example, a course on the history of public health might emphasize how environmental pollution disproportionately affects less affluent communities, a major factor in the Flint water crisis. Understanding immigration patterns may provide crucial background for addressing ongoing racial and cultural tensions. In many ways, history interprets the events and causes that contributed to our current world. History builds empathy through studying the lives and struggles of others. Studying the diversity of human experience helps us appreciate cultures, ideas, and traditions that are not our own, and to recognize them as meaningful products of specific times and places. History helps us realize how different our lived experiences from our ancestors, yet how similar we are in our goals and values. History can be intensely personal. In learning about the past, we often discover how our lives fit into the human experience. In October 2015, a UW alumnus named Michael Stern contacted Professor Amos Bitson. He wanted help translating letters from his grandmother, Sarah Spira, to his parents. Bitson was able to integrate some of the letters into his class on the Holocaust to bring to life for his students the day-to-day realities of being Jewish in Nazi-occupied Poland. As Bitson explained, I realized that Sarah Spira's postcards could be a way for my students to integrate two facets of the study of the Holocaust— an analysis of victims and perpetrators. And if you've ever seen an episode of Who Do You Think You Are? You've seen the ways in which historical research can tell us amazing stories about our ancestors, stories we might never have known otherwise. Doing history is like completing a puzzle or solving a mystery. Imagine asking a question about the past, assimilate a set of clues through documents, artifacts, and other sources, and then piecing those clues together to tell a story that answers your question and tells you something unexpected about the different time and place. That's doing history. Everything has a history. Everything we do, everything we use, everything we study is the product of a complex set of causes, ideas, and practices. Even the material we learn in other courses has important historical elements, whether because our understanding of a topic changed over time or because the discipline takes a historical perspective. There's nothing that cannot become grist for the historian's mill. I love reading about history. I started with historical fiction to get swept away with ball gowns and corsets, afternoon teas and gentlemen collars, but found myself more drawn to the past struggles of life. It became important for me to understand how generations before me lived, what they did to carve out a life for themselves, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. I was hooked, and I wanted more. I began to feel a strong sense of responsibility to study and learn and never forget. Yes, some of it is hard to read, and there are some very dark times, but there were also many good times. 
It's easy to focus on what went wrong and want to erase the injustice, but what about the progress? Frederick Douglass said, if there is no struggle, there is no progress. And for the negative, well, I'll read that too, because that helps me honor those who didn't make it, by their own hand or another's. What about your history? Positive and negative. How do you honor your learning and never forget? I was digging around for a little more, so I found Why Study History at PragerU's YouTube channel. They make some pretty compelling points we should never forget. Why study history? Ironically, this question is as old as history. 2,500 years ago, Thucydides, the great chronicler of the Peloponnesian Wars between Athens and Sparta, and the man many call the first historian, said that, I have written my work not to win the applause of the moment, but as a possession for all time. Thucydides hoped that what he was writing would help future generations understand what transpired in his day. If they could learn from it and make better decisions, his efforts would not be in vain. More than two millennia later, the American social thinker, George Santayana, said much the same thing. Those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But while knowledge of the past is a prerequisite to wisdom, it doesn't give the historian a crystal ball. We must be modest in our claim. Studying history provides an invaluable guide, but only a guide, to current and future political, economic, military, and cultural challenges. Just as it is dangerous to be ignorant of past events, so too is equally risky to assume that history across time and space will repeat itself in exactly the same fashion. It never does. Still, with a proper caution, studying history can warn us of dangers ahead. For example, across the ages, appeasing or ignoring enemies has rarely proven to be a prudent strategy. Usually it's disastrous. The Greek city-state's coddling of the Macedonian king Philip II, the weak Western democracy's reaction to the aggression of Adolf Hitler in the 1930s, and the indifference shown to the dangers of radical Islam by an affluent West in the 1990s make this point. There is another perhaps less recognized value in studying history. Every generation, none more than our own, suffers from a pernicious presentism, the arrogance that those now alive have created the most prosperous period in history. The result is that too often we judge a materially poorer past by the same contemporary standards of an affluent and leisured present. Those who study history can avoid these fallacies. Aside from the fact that the present is the beneficiary of the accumulated intellectual, moral, and scientific contributions of the past, proper knowledge of the hardship of prior ages teaches us the value of humility. To take just one possible example, it might be an easy thing to chronicle what seems to us prejudices recorded among the wagoneers on the Oregon Trail in the 1840s. It is quite another to imagine how the trailblazers struggled to survive one more day in an age without effective medicines, labor-saving machines, or adequate shelter. Studying history also confers much-needed perspective. It's neither fair nor wise to attempt to apply the moral standards of today to, say, the far more deadly 17th century when life, in the words of English philosopher Thomas Hobbes, was solitary, 
poor, nasty, brutish, and short. The COVID-19 pandemic seems to many like a public health crisis without precedent until we take time to learn of the global outbreak of the H1N1 influenza virus in 1918. The Spanish flu killed nearly 600,000 Americans in a nation of 100 million, with a worldwide toll of perhaps 50 million dead. And yet our nation and planet survived and learned from it. One of the ways that I used to endure the tedium, dust, and noise of tractor driving was to remember that my farming grandfather covered the same ground with a team of horses. It took him two days of back-breaking labor to cultivate four acres of land. I could do it in an hour, sitting down. But while technology improves, human nature does not. That means we have, if we bother to look, a timeless connection to those who went before us. Their struggle to make sense of life is our struggle. In this regard, there's still much to learn from King David, the Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius, or Elizabeth I, And we can draw strength and courage when all seems lost from inspirational figures like George Washington, Frederick Douglass, or the Wright brothers. Finally, the study of history teaches to value caution over certainty. We should avoid making judgments about who's good and who's bad as if we were watching a morality tale in the present. Major historical players like Julius Caesar, Robert E. Lee, and Napoleon were complex men who at points in their lives did some good things. That these efforts ultimately led to bad outcomes, made far worse by their own outsized talents, is one of the many tragedies of history. So why study history? Nobel Prize-winning American novelist William Faulkner summed it up as well as anyone. The past is not dead. In fact, it's not even past. I'm Victor Davis Hansen, Senior Historian at the Hoover Institution at Stanford for Prager University. I love some of those ideas. I hope you've taken those to heart and maybe developed a passion to dig back into not only your history, but the history around you. You know, I'm a storyteller by nature. I use that skill in my professional life, sales strategy and public speaking, but also in my personal life. I wanted to find a good definition. So I found it means you're a good connector. You can find something in the shared human experience that resonates with other people. You make people feel heard, feel validated, and feel listened to. As a good storyteller, you make people feel like they're not alone. Stories have the power to create connections and foster empathy. By sharing personal stories or narratives that tap into universal experiences, you can build rapport and understanding with others. It helps create a sense of trust and strengthens relationships. Good storytelling has the power to inspire and motivate people. Stories over triumphs over adversity, personal growth, or acts of bravery can ignite passion, encourage positive change, and drive individuals to take action. What's the story you're telling? On fs.blog, I found we are what we remember. Memory is an intrinsic part of our life experience. 
It's critical for learning, and without memories, we'd have no sense of self. Understanding why some memories stick better than others, as well as accepting their fluidity, helps us reduce conflict and better appreciate just how much our memories impact our lives. Which of our memories are true and which are not is something we may never know. It doesn't change who we are. Memories can be so vivid. Let's say you're spending time with your sibling and reflecting on your past when suddenly a memory pops up. Even though it's about events that occurred 20 years ago, it seems like it happened yesterday. The sounds and smells pop into your mind. You remember what you were wearing, the color of the flowers on the table. You chuckle and share your memory with your sibling. But they stare at you and say, hmm, that's not how I remember it at all. What? Memory discrepancies happen all the time. But we have a hard time accepting that our memories are rarely accurate. Because we've been conditioned to think of our memories like a video recording or data stored in the cloud, we assert that our rememberings are the correct ones. Anyone who remembers the situation differently must be wrong. Memories are never an exact representation of a moment in the past. They're not copied with perfect fidelity, and they change over time. Some of our memories may not even be ours but rather something we saw in a film or a story someone told us. We mix and combine memories, especially older ones, all the time. It can be hard to accept the malleable nature of memories and the fact that they're not just sitting on our brains waiting for us to retrieve them. In Adventures in Memory, writer Hilde Otsby and neuropsychologist Yilva Otsby present a fascinating journey through all aspects of memory. Their stories and investigations provide great insight into how memory works and how our capacity for memory is an integral part of our human condition and how a better understanding of memory helps us avoid the conflicts we create when we insist that we remember something right. Mom, are you listening? One thing that aging doesn't diminish is the wisdom we've accumulated over time. Our memories, dynamic and changing though they may be, are with us for the duration of our lives. Unless you've experienced brain trauma, you learn new things and store at least some of what you've learned in memory. Memory is an obvious component of learning, but we don't often think of it that way. When we learn something new, It's against the backdrop of what we already knew. All knowledge that we pick up over the years is stored in memory. The author suggests that how much you know in a broad sense determines what you understand of the new things you learn. Because it's easy to remember something if you can hook into context you already have, then the more you know, the more new memory can attach to. Thus, what we already know What we remember impacts what we learn. The Otsbees explain that the strongest memory networks are created when we learn something truly meaningful and make an effort to understand it. 
They describe someone who is passionate about diving and therefore will more easily learn new things about diving than about something they've never been interested in before. Because the diver already knows a lot about diving and because she loves it and is motivated to learn more, new knowledge about diving will easily attach itself to the memory network she already has about the subject. While studying people who seem to have amazing memories as measured by the sheer amount they can recall with accuracy, one of the conclusions the Otspies reached is that many people who rely on their memories don't use mnemonic techniques, nor do they cram. They're just passionate about what they do. The more meaningful the topics and the more we're truly invested, the higher the chances are that we'll convert new information into lasting memory. Also, the more we learn, the more we'll remember. There doesn't seem to be a limit on how much we can put into our memory. The experience of being a human is inseparable from our ability to remember. You can't build relationships without memories. You can't prepare for the future if you don't remember the past. The memories we hold on to early have a huge impact on the ones we'll retain as we progress through life. When memories enter our brain, they attach themselves to similar memories, ones from the same environment or that involve the same feeling, the same music, or same significant moment in history. Memories seldom swim around without connections. A memory is significantly more likely to stick around if it can attach itself to something. A new experience that has very little in common with the narrative we've constructed for ourselves is harder to retain in memory. As we get older, our new memories tend to reinforce what we already think of ourselves. Memory is self-serving. Memories are linked to what concerns you, what you feel, and what you want. Why is it so much easier to remember the details of a vacation or a fight we've had with our partner than the details of a physics lesson or the plot of a classic novel. The fate of a memory is mostly determined by how much it means to us. Personal memories are important to us. They're tied to our hopes, our values, and our identities. Memories that contribute meaningfully to our personal autobiography prevail in our minds. We need not beat ourselves up because we have a hard time remembering names or birthdays. Rather, we can accept that the triggers for the creation of a memory and its retention are related to how it speaks to the narrative we maintain about ourselves. This view of memory suggests that to better retain information, we can try to make knowing that information part of our identity. We don't try to remember physics equations for the sake of it, but rather because in our personal narrative, we're someone who knows a lot about physics. Our ability to imagine is based in part on our ability to remember. The connection works on two levels. The first, the Ospies write, is that our memories are the fuel for our imagination. What we remember about the past informs a lot of what we can imagine about the future. Whether it's snippets from movies we've seen or activities we've done, it's our ability to remember the experiences we've had that provide the foundation for our imagination. 
Second, there's a physical connection between memory and imagination. The process that gives us vivid memories is the same as the one that we use to imagine the future. We use the same parts of the brain when we immerse ourselves in an event from our past as we do when we create a vision for our future. One of the conclusions of Adventures in Memory is that as far as our brains are concerned, the past and future are almost the same. In terms of how they can feel to us, memories and the products of imagination are not that different. The interplay between the past and the future, between memory and imagination, impacts the formation of memories themselves. Memory is a living organism, always absorbing images, and when new elements are added, they're sewn into the original memory as seamlessly as our own imagination can do. You know, one of the most important lessons from the book is to change up the analogies we use to understand memory. Memories are not like movies exactly the same no matter how many times you watch them. Nor are they like files stored in a computer, unchanging data saved for when we might want to retrieve it. Memories, like the rest of our biology, are fluid. Memory is more like live theater, where there are constantly new productions of the same pieces. Each and every one of our memories is a mix of fact and fiction. In most memories, the central story is based on true events, but it's still reconstructed every time we recall it. In these reconstructions, we fill in the gaps with probable facts. We subconsciously pick up details from a sort of memory prop room. Understanding our memory more like a theater production, where the version you see in London's West End isn't going to be exactly the same as the one you see on Broadway, helps us let go of attaching a judgment of accuracy to what we remember. It's okay to find out when reminiscing with your friends that you have different memories of the same day. It's also acceptable that two people will have different memories of events leading to their divorce, or that business partners will have different memories of the terms they agreed to when they started their partnership. The more you get used to the fluidity of your memories, the more the differences in recollections become sources of understanding instead of points of contention. What people communicate about what they remember can give you insight into their attitudes, beliefs, and values. New memories build on the ones that are already there. The more we know, the easier it is to remember the new things we learn. But we have to be careful to recognize that our tendency is to reinforce the narrative we've already built. Brand new information is harder to retain, but sometimes we need to make the effort. Remember, memories are important not only for learning and remembering, but also because they form the basis of what we can imagine and create. In many ways, we are what we remember. Accepting that our vivid memories can be very different from those who were in the same situation helps us reduce the conflict that comes with insisting that our memories must always be correct.
I used to think that leaving a legacy was about leaving this world having given it all you've got. Hard work, good friendships, lots of love, etc. But as I get older, maybe a little wiser, and definitely a better perspective, I can see how important meaning is. Delivering and having a meaningful impact on others. I realize to be a world changer doesn't mean you have to gain dominance over the world to spin it on a different axis. It means starting with yourself and then connecting and encouraging another and then another, all the while watching them encourage another and then another. That's how to affect real change. One person at a time, starting with yourself. Lisa Hasha asks an important question. What kind of legacy are you leaving the world? This was found at HuffPost.com. It's not what we leave others that matters. It's what we leave them that matters most. Possessions and wealth do not a true legacy make. It's about leaving behind the essence of your authentic soul. Have you ever thought about the legacy you're leaving your family or your community or your world? Most people never give it a second thought, but a legacy is something you're creating every day whether you realize it or not. The Webster's Dictionary defines legacy as something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past. Some common examples of legacy are, she left us a legacy of a million dollars. He left his children a legacy of love and respect. The war left a legacy of pain and suffering. Her artistic legacy lives on through her children. So what do you want your legacy to be? There are two types of legacies. Everyone has a choice between leaving a positive legacy or a negative one. Most people never consciously choose one or the other. It just happens. But the goal for you is to make a conscious decision about the legacy you'll leave. So let's start with the positive legacy. Oprah Winfrey has lived most of her adult life from her authentic soul. She's been a pillar of kindness and has stood for truth, education, and giving back. She's really one of a kind. Millions of people tuned into her show for over 20 years. During her farewell show, Jada Pinkett Smith said, Oprah, you never had children, but you've mothered millions. Madonna said, people always ask me who I admire. I always say, living or dead. There are many diverse dead people I admire. Alive? Just one person, Oprah Winfrey. Oprah has made a lasting, positive imprint on the world, helping to introduce millions of people to their authentic souls. Through the many lives she's changed and touched, her legacy will live on forever. That's a positive legacy. Now, let me share the heartbreak that accompanies a negative legacy. Lisa says, A 50-something-year-old client of mine, whom I'll call Sarah, was the opposite of Oprah. She was from England and had a troubled childhood. Her mother was an alcoholic and her father was absent from her life. She ended up having three children out of wedlock and felt she had to somewhat abandon her children in order to make a living. To hide her pain, Sarah couldn't help but give unsolicited advice to everyone she came in contact with. 
I'm talking everyone. Cashiers at grocery stores, salespeople in the mall, and strangers she'd meet at events. Yet she couldn't get her own life together. She hid behind criticizing others and focusing on what the world wasn't accomplishing so she wouldn't have to look at herself in the mirror. Every area of her life was unfulfilled. Out of need, she entered into a marriage of convenience. She had no close friends. She was a hoarder. She was depressed. And she suffered from low self-esteem. She couldn't trust others, so her business ideas could never take off. She couldn't stay connected to her kids because she felt ashamed of her lack of money and success. She desperately wanted to create a life she could be proud of before she died, but she didn't know how to make that happen because of her internal pain and her internal dialogue telling her how stupid and worthless she was. Sarah ended up passing away in her early 60s. Her legacy was an unfulfilled life without ever being able to give herself or her children the love they needed because she was so stressed out, sad, ashamed of her lack of money and success. Often, when we think of legacy, we think of things, material possessions. But as both of these examples illustrate, your legacy isn't always about things. Usually it's about who you are and how you touch people's lives. This might be a subject you've thought long and hard about. You might be well on your way to changing your imprint and giving your life and the lives of others more meaning. And for some, this might be a revelation. Guess what? It doesn't matter how long you've already lived, how many mistakes you've made, and how far you are from having things figured out. That's the exciting part. This is about honoring history first, learning from it, and then being intentional about the legacy you leave. So, need some help getting started? Jasmine Tangway shares ways to leave a meaningful, lasting legacy, found at joincake.com. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, to leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or redeemed social condition, to know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived. This is to have succeeded. As humans, we often long to make a connection to something bigger and more enduring than ourselves. A lasting legacy captures some meaningful aspect of our unique presence and preserves it for the benefit of those who follow us. Whether through work, family, or community, we all have the opportunity to leave a one-of-the-kind mark on the world. Our careers are often central to our contributions to the world, and we can make a lasting impact through our body of work. Working not just for money, but with a deeper sense of purpose can connect us to a source of meaning beyond ourselves. Starting a business or nonprofit organization appeals to some, but regardless of whether we work for ourselves or others, we all want to feel that we built something lasting during our careers. So here are some ideas that might make that happen. Mentor. Do you have an opportunity to mentor aspiring or new professionals in your company or field? Sharing your wisdom is a great way to pay it forward and help shape the next generation of leaders. Are there guiding principles that have shaped your work ethic or leadership style? 
Share with mentees what you did to get to where you are. Hear their worries, motivate, and help them find their way toward a career of impact. Pass on your knowledge. If you've gathered wisdom over your career, share that knowledge via articles or a book or even a blog. Publishing online can be done with very little cost and a very broad reach. Capturing your knowledge and skills ensures that your expertise will continue to make a difference during your retirement and beyond. Keep connected after retirement. How do you want to be remembered by your clients and colleagues, by your community? Continuing to engage with the ecosystem of your professional life means continuing to be a resource, sounding board, or teacher in retirement. Plus, staying connected to others may improve your chances of living longer in retirement. In the context of family, legacy means intergenerational continuity. The cycle of life is vividly present and will celebrate and mourn these traditions together. Just as we have individual legacies, there are family legacies tied to each family culture, lore, tradition, value, and contributions to society. Passing these alongs, as well as your individual story, continues the larger narrative of your ever-changing family and weaves it into your shared history. Write about life in these times. Sometimes the best ideas are the simplest. Sharing your experience and perspective about life here and now can be a gift to your descendants and others in the years ahead. Think of how interesting it would be to have first-person accounts of major events in the world told by your own family members. These can be shared during your life, if you wish. Consider ideas like writing to a child shortly before their birth and giving them the message on a significant birthday later on. Curate your family's history. Remembering a family member's life can inform how you live your own. You may recall stories and have access to documents that your descendants will not, so you could be in a great position to become a family historian. Compile photographs, handwritten notes, and even small heirlooms. Or create a timeline that juxtaposed your family's history with major world events. If you have the time and interest to complete a genealogical research project, this can be an incredible gift to your family, and one that can be maintained for generations to come. Tell your life story. Telling the story of your life in your own words can be one of the greatest gifts to loved ones. You might put your history on paper via a journal, an autobiography, or a memoir. Telling your descendants about your life and your extended family stories is key to passing on your family's legacy. Reflect on your past and share the stories and circumstances unique to your lifetime. Make an audio or video recording. Many find it easier to speak than write. This may be a better way to preserve family stories. Why not start by making a collection of keepsake audio or video recordings that you and your loved ones will treasure? Consider it part of your digital legacy. You can interview family members about the past or children about their future, or have someone film you identifying the people or events in old family photographs. You can archive and edit these videos on many online platforms and then share them with the whole family. Raise your children and grandchildren well. One of the most fundamental ways 
though it may be one of the hardest to leave the world a better place, is by raising responsible, capable, and generous children who live out the positive values you've instilled in them. How about volunteering? Good deeds are always remembered. Take part in activities connected with making the world a better place to live in. Volunteering benefits your mental health, society, the community, and the world in general. Look for organizations that benefit a cause you're interested in. Your time, skills, and energy are invaluable gifts. Share your lessons. We all have life lessons that would benefit those who follow us. Share these lessons via a legacy letter. Tell your loved ones what you've learned, what matters to you, and how you value life. This time-tested guidance will shape the lives of those whom you share it with, and it's worth more than gold. Love. Whenever you meet hatred with love, you're doing important work to heal the world. Extending love and compassion beyond your immediate friends and family to the larger human family helps to create a more peaceful society. The ability to see situations from different perspectives, to feel others' pain, and to teach that skill to your children makes all the difference in humanity's ability to sustain itself. To have loved and taught others to love is an amazing legacy. Take initiative. Whenever you see an opportunity to make the world a better place, step up and do something about it. Start a new program in your community. Spearhead the construction of a new community garden or playground, or launch a campaign to raise donations or change policy. Leave the world a little better. Living a meaningful life makes for a lasting legacy. Think about what matters to you and how you can contribute in ways that will make a difference beyond the span of your life. Being proactive about your legacy means being thoughtful about how you want to be remembered. If you want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they're not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, never forget what got you here. The good, the bad, and the ugly. What you conquered gave you the momentum to carve a unique path forward for yourself. Take time to share your lessons as you lean into leaving a meaningful legacy. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone through until the path was clear. That's when I found you. How I wound up here